Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Mark. We begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, who has taken up our infirmities and has borne our sorrows. We thank you, O Lord, that by him our sins are forgiven and we are welcomed into your presence with eternal life. Now, Lord, we pray this day that as we hear your word, you would grant us faith to believe, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. I think there's a bit of a problem with the way we tend to hear these miracle accounts this morning. Uh, We tend to hear them, I think, with 21st century American ears. 21st century American ears that have been tuned in to look for surprising and exciting and thrilling things that take place in this world. 21st century American ears that like to watch incredible talent shows on TV and see people do all kinds of amazing and miraculous things. Like This is how we see these parables today, and this is how we hear them. I think sometimes we hear them and we're missing something rather significant. Typically, we hear the parables, and it goes something like this. Here are two people with some medically impossible problems that they are facing. One is a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years, and doctors have only seemed to make matters worse for her. And then we have Jairus' daughter, who is dead, and it is too late for her by the time Jesus arrives. A woman with uh, a medical problem that cannot be healed and a dead child. It seems impossible, but not for Jesus, right? We know Jesus isn't going to let a little thing like a medical mystery or a dead body stop him from performing a miracle. So the account goes this way. Jairus comes to Jesus to receive assistance for his daughter who is dying. And on his way there, he is encountered by a great crowd. And in this crowd is a woman who has this issue of blood but believes this, if, that if she just touches the hem of Jesus' robe, she will be healed. And her faith is right. She touches Jesus and is healed. And Jesus sees this and smiles and he says, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed. Now, as this takes place, the people come from Jairus' house and they say, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? And Jesus says, you saw that miracle. Just you wait. Fear not, only believe. He arrives to find the young girl dead, takes her by the hand, and raises her back to life. It's incredible, right? I mean, amazing miracles taking place all over the place. But you and I know that this is just another day in the life of your friendly neighborhood miracle Messiah. I think that's kind of how we hear these stories. And in a certain sense, there's nothing wrong with that. It is good. It reminds us of who Jesus is. He is our God who has come into this creation to restore us to life, to to set right everything that has gone wrong, to heal our diseases and to overcome death. We love this. It's a wonderful thing to see. It's great. But don't you have a little bit of a problem sometimes when you hear these miracle stories? Like, isn't there always that something in the back of your head that says, it's so good, you know, for them. But what about me? Why don't I get to see the miracle? Why do I still have my problems? If Jesus loves me so much, why are my dead, one, my dead loved ones 
still dead? Why are my diseases still here? Why are not my perpetual problems being removed? Suddenly, these miracle stories, as incredible as they are, become huge problems for those of us who are still suffering beneath the wages of sin. See, I think we get to that questioning point because there's a certain part of the account that we don't hear quite rightly because we don't have the right kind of ears. What we need to do today is this. We need to grab our ears. We've done this before. It's been a little while. Grab your ears and you, you want to take them off. So we take off our 21st century ears. This is part of a children's message. None of you are doing this. Come on, everybody, let's go. Take off your 21st century American ears, and now we're going to put on new ears. These are ears that are, I don't know anything about Jesus, but I live in the first century and I'm Jewish ears, okay? So we have our 21st, or we have our first century Jewish, I don't know anything about who Jesus is ears on right now. And with these ears on, we're going to hear and encounter this account of Jesus' ministry very differently. Because as we hear what goes on in this account, the question that's going to come up is not, when is it my turn, but what in the world is happening to Jesus? Not what's happening to the people who receive the miracles, yet so much as what is happening to Jesus. Now that's a strange question, actually, because we don't usually think about things happening to Jesus. We see these accounts and it looks to us like Jesus is in control. After all, he's God, and God is always in control, right? Well, of course that's true. But it doesn't change the fact that the God who is in control has things happen to him in this account. He is affected by the things that take place in these encounters. See, we would see these accounts as, 20, as, excuse me, as first century, I don't know anything about Jesus, Jews, and we would say, this guy who claims to be the spotless Lamb of God has become impure has become unclean. Now that, that seems like almost a blasphemous thing to say about Jesus, right? Because we know Jesus is perfect. He's never sinned. He's never unclean. He is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But with our first century Jewish ears, as we're listening to this account, we would immediately call to mind some verses from the Old Testament. Some Old Testament verses that might cause us to raise a few eyebrows after we see what's taking place in the account today. For example... Look at Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5 says this. Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, who has a discharge, that is like of, of blood, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. Yo, here we have someone with a discharge of blood and someone who is dead, both being touched by Jesus. And what happens if Jesus touches, if anyone touches people with this uncleanliness? Well, Leviticus chapter 5 says, if anyone touches human uncleanliness, anything that would make him unclean, even though he is unaware of it, when he learns of it, he will be guilty. Think about that. If we're first century Jews and we see Jesus touch this woman who has this discharge of blood and see Jesus touch this child who is dead, immediately we're going to be thinking Jesus is now unclean. Jesus is now impure. He's not allowed to enter into the worship of God to be among the people of God. This, this uncleanliness, this impurity, you need to understand, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a ritual law, which means if you had this uncleanliness or this impurity, you could not go worship in the presence of God, you could not go worship in the presence of the temple, and you could not worship among the people lest you touched those people and spread your impurities to them. 
So this woman, not only has she had this medical issue for 12 years, she's been ostracized from society. She hasn't been able to go and worship her God. This dead child being dead would render her, her father Jairus unclean so that he couldn't go to work. We might not like these rules with our 21st century ears, but our 1st century Jewish ears, this is how we would hear what was taking place. This is what's going on. Jesus is now rendered impure and unclean because he touched these people. And I'm not just saying this. This is according to the law. Jesus, we might say, is taking their impurities upon himself. Now, with that in mind, now, now understanding things that way, we can go back and now we can see the, uh, the miracles a little bit differently. Because notice what happens in this moment. This woman touches Jesus unknowingly. He finds out, so now the text says he is guilty and the impurity is upon him. But what happens to the woman? Cleansed. Completely healed. Not only is her medical problem solved, she's restored to the people of God and she can once again enter into the presence of God and worship Him because her impurity has been removed and she is healed. She is cleansed. And this dead child, what benefit does she get from this? It's not a hard one. She's brought back to life. She who was dead is made alive again. And notice that what's going on here is that Jesus is just doing the work that Jesus always does. He shows up and he cleanses impurity to bring people back into the presence of God and he takes those who are dead and he raises them to life. That's the work of Jesus. But he does this in this sort of beautiful exchange that takes place where he takes their impurities, their infirmities, and their death upon himself and in exchange gives healing, purity, cleanliness, and life. Restores to the relationship with God and gives life. Martin Luther, one time describing this sort of work of Jesus, talked about it as the great exchange. And he says, our relationship with Jesus is kind of like this. It's kind of like a marriage. Where when you get married, each spouse brings a bunch of stuff to the relationship. And once the two become one, everybody's stuff becomes everybody else's. The husband's stuff becomes the wife's stuff, and the wife's stuff becomes the husband's stuff. Luther says, it's like this with Jesus. We enter into this marriage, and Jesus is our groom, and the church is his bride. And what does the bride bring to the marriage? Sin, and cleanliness, impurity, guilt, shame, all of this. This is what you and I bring into this relationship with Jesus. And Jesus shows up, and he says, okay, I'm going to take all of that as my own. And in exchange, I'm going to give you what's mine. Righteousness, holiness. Purity, eternal life. All of this Jesus now grants to us as his beloved bride. So as we hear this account today, what we want to hear is this is the work that Jesus has done for you. He's taken your guilt and your shame upon himself and in exchange given you holiness and righteousness, restores you to God, and given you the gift of everlasting life. So the question that you have to ask yourself today is what is my impurity? And maybe not so much ritual impurity, but for us it might be even greater. What is our sin? What is our guilt? What is it in your life that would remove you from God's presence? What is that sin in your life 
that renders you guilty beneath the law of God. You need to understand that Jesus has come and He has taken credit for that on your behalf. He stood guilty in your place so that you would be declared righteous, that you would live in His place. Jesus has come to you and touched you and had this great exchange. St. Paul says it this way, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, we might begin to ask ourselves the question, when, where, how? When did Jesus do this for me? I've never seen Him face to face. He's never touched me. I've never grabbed the hem of His robe. But don't you see? This is precisely why He has given us His sacrament. This is exactly what He did for you in your baptism. This is literally what happened in your baptism. When in the waters of baptism you were crucified with Christ and just like this girl, raised to a new life. And all of your impurity and sin was washed away. Jesus will touch you today as you eat the body and drink the blood and the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. And there your sins once again will be forgiven and you will be encouraged and restored to everlasting life. And even now, as you hear the word falling on your ears, Christ is in your ears and in your heart, forgiving you and touching you and cleansing you. When God's law falls upon our ears and tells us we are guilty, impure, and dead, Christ comes along and says, I forgive you for that. I declare you innocent, clean, and alive forever. In your guilt, your shame, uncleanliness, I take the guilty verdict. Isaiah says, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus has taken all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your sorrow, even your death, and he's borne it on the cross. And in exchange, has given you life. He is made impure so that you are pure. He is declared guilty so that you are declared innocent. He is condemned so that you are free. He dies so that you, yes you, will live. See, Jesus has come and taken your infirmities and your sorrows. He has set you free, cleansed you and given you life forever. Amen. Let us pray. We give you thanks, Almighty God, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came and took our place on the cross. We ask you now, dear Father, that you would constantly give us faith to trust in him, to know that by coming to him, our wounds are healed, our sins are forgiven, and life eternal is ours. We thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.